Well, hey, it's the Advent season where we get to celebrate the coming um, of Jesus to, uh, to this world to bring, carry out his plan for salvation. Um, and it's pretty cool because we're also celebrating a, a lot of uh, newborn babies in our church. So put your hands together for all these newborn babies. It's really fun. Um, that we get to kind of see, see that in, in real time, in real life, um, the miracle of life happen. Um, welcome all you newborns. And um, there's a couple of them to come. And so the Advent season, like Lauren said, is um, a time of waiting and a time of expectation. So um, my wife and I are expecting a baby, and there's um, Anna and Sean are expecting a baby, and I think that's all that's left. I hope I'm not missing anybody. All right, cool. <laughs> I didn't get called out. So it's just my wife and, and, and Anna, um, and we're, we're, we're in the season of expectation and of welcoming new life, and we get to also celebrate the coming of Jesus and, and, the, and Jesus entering our world, and I just think that that is cool. Um, my wife and I are very big Christmas people, um, really the, the holly jolly types, if you will, and um, in just so the Advent season just brings me a lot of joy, and a lot of, um, it's just a super, super fun time for um, me and Olivia. We have um, two trees, one in our living room, one in our bedroom. Um, if that communicates anything, we love Advent, um, and I preach during the Advent season every year, so like just to add on to that, I just love um, the Advent season. I mean, the big, a big part about the Advent season, about the Christmas season, is the singing, is the, the songs that come along with it. Without the songs that come with Christmas, it wouldn't really feel that much like Christmas. Um, we wouldn't be reminded of the good memories that we have with our families. We wouldn't be reminded of the great truths of the gospel without this beautiful Christmas music that comes along with it. And so in this Advent season, we are going through some of the songs um, that happened that people sang around the time when Jesus was born, when, um, that just kind of welled up out of them, out of their experiences. And today, we're jumping into Mary's song. Um, today, Mary's song kind of addresses for us a, a kind of a recentering of our lives, a recentering of who God is to us and who and how we pursue Him. If you're like me, if you if you're a Christian, if you're like me, we've gone. I've gone through phases of my faith where God kind of gets taken away from the center, where I start to live my life um, with with Him not in the center, and and eventually we 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 live in these ways. And whether it, be, it turns into the pursuit of a good career, a pursuit of acquiring of things for pursuit of power or control in my life, whatever it looks like, we end up in a place where we're like, what am I doing? What is all this for? Why am I, why am I pursuing this with such a status? Why am I pursuing status and power, life, and all these other things? It's because we lose our centers, because we lose God as our goal, as our pursuit. And today, Mary's song kind of reminds us to come back to that center, reminds us to make God the center of that pursuit, um, and shows us also the consequences of when he's not, when he's not the center of that pursuit. pursuit. So today we look at Mary's song found in Luke 1, 46 to 55, and this is sometimes referred to as, um, if we're talking American, magnificent, if you're talking Latin, the magnificat, um, and this is a Latin term. Um, that refers to the opening words, which it says to magnify. Mary says that my soul magnifies the Lord. And it's all about Mary magnifying Jesus as Christ, her Lord, making big of him and little of herself. That's kind of the idea today is making big of him and little of ourselves. Um, that, though he has not yet been born, she wants to sing his praises and magnify his name. And that is where um, we will begin today is in her song. So um, follow along with me. In Luke 41, 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. 
Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This is Mary's song, and this is going to be um, answer our question of, of, of how to get back on center and, and why we lose our center and the consequences of losing our center, of, lo- of losing God at the center and God on his throne. The first question we're going to ask is, why was she singing? Like, why, to, to really dig into this question, we've got to see why she was singing this song. I'll give you some background. In Luke chapter 1, before this, I'm just going to tell you, instead of read it to you, just save some time. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says that she's going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. Mary responded with, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then immediately we're told the angel left her. Now, I'd imagine that Mary would have a ton of questions at this point. Like, yes, she said she's going to be obedient, but that doesn't mean it doesn't come with questions and, and doubts and, and what is happening to me? Well, am I dreaming? Am I hallucinating? How am I going to tell my husband Joseph this? When should I tell Joseph? Will he believe me? Will I still get married to him? What will our family think? What will our friends think? It's just flooded with doubt and questions and fear. In verse 38, Mary submitted herself to God's will, but that does not mean that she wasn't scared. Being, being brave does not mean that you're not terrified. There's not inherent doubt and ter- um, fear in there. And then I think next, Gabriel tells her, and I think why he tells her this is, he says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So I think the angel told Mary this, uh, this as a sign, a way of reassuring her and confirming for her that everything that he had told her would come to pass. Like if, if God can... can make a child happen between these old people in your family, then God for sure can put a baby in you, can make that happen. So then we're told in verse 39 that uh, Mary hurried into the hill country, into, into a town of Judah, go to, to go see Elizabeth in, in um, Zechariah. So she left Nazareth after she got this message that she's going to give birth to a baby without having conceived a baby with her to-be husband not knowing for sure if Joseph would end up choosing to marry her, because we know, if, if we jump to Matthew, it says that in, in Matthew that after she told Joseph, he believed she had cheated on him, and after giving it some consideration, decided to divorce her. So, like, it's pretty, um, it's uh, good to think, or, or, like, we can assume that there was some uncertainty here between even her and Joseph, um, based on other accounts of the Gospels. All this to say, that we can only imagine how difficult this was for Mary. Um, and there's one more reason why. She may have been in a hurry to get to Elizabeth, Elizabeth, and that's just because, like, what about the shame that she's going to get from her neighborhood? She's, like, this is a time when you're in a small, you're in a small village, and everybody knows you, you, you have a circle of people, and you're going to be judged. You're going to be looked at, looked down on. So she would especially be looked down on as an unwed woman having a baby in her belly. You know how that sounds? Like, no, God did it, you know? You know how that sounds, like, if someone told that to you. So she rushed to her, her family's house. She rushed to Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth's house, and then is reassured. How reassuring it must have been when she got to Elizabeth's house. <laughs> house. <laughs> got to Elizabeth, Elizabeth's house and greets her with his words, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
How reassuring it must have been for her to hear this, that she was carrying the Lord in her tummy, in her stomach, in her womb. She got the message and no doubt was obedient. Then she goes to her cousin and shares what God is doing and then bursts into this praise. Okay, so there's the background. This begs the question, why was she singing? Why did she burst into song after greeting her cousin? Now, we sing for a variety of reasons. We sing, for one thing, it gives us like an opportunity to express ourselves, express our emotions. Like think of the range of emotions that you experience when you sing or when you listen to a certain song. Um, singing can inspire us, lift us up, drive us to action, move us, into, move us into action, move us forward. Or singing can help us to express the sorrow and the pain that we feel. Think about someone like singing the blues. We sing to remember the past and to tell a story. We sing about things that happen to remind ourselves. In church, we do that a lot. We sing about what Jesus did. We sing about what God has done, how he has carried out his plans, his purposes. We sing songs that tell the story of God and us and stories that we collectively remember and continue to pass down through generations to drive us forward, to express our emotions, our, um, our, our hearts toward God. But singing doesn't just remember the past. It also, we also use songs to help shape our future. In the civil rights movement, they sang many songs and continue to sing that we shall overcome. Not because anything had yet been overcome. There are still a lot of problems around them. But in order to create a future that was better and true, we sing. We sing it into being. And what happened? The civil rights movement moved along. I think about um, in the Pirates of the Caribbean, I think it's, I can't remember, there's a lot of them now. There's like, I think maybe the second one, the beginning, they, there's a trial happening of someone being accused of being a pirate, and all the pri- there's lots of pirates that are being accused of this, and they start singing, yo ho, yo ho. Um, they start, or actually, no, they sing a better song than that one. They do sing that in that movie, but they start singing to drive forward like this. We are pirates because of the unjust life that we live in, the unjust society that we live in, and it, and it is inspiring. It inspires us. Singing inspires us. So why did Mary sing? She's not a pirate, but I think for all these, the reasons besides the piracy thing, it was a way to pour out all of the emotions that she was feeling. It was a way to remember what God had done for her, what God had done for his people, and a way to help shape the future into the world that God wants it to be. So she's singing for all these reasons that I just stated. Mary was bringing the Savior into the world, bringing Christ into the world. And so Mary shares the good news in her song. She sings with her soul, her whole being, everything that she was feeling, all the wonder, all the fear, all the determination, all the hope, hope, all the joy in this song. Mary remembers God's faithfulness throughout history, how God has brought down every power, every pharaoh, every Babylon. Time and again, God has lifted up those who are low, all those who are in slavery, all those who are oppressed. She sings about what God has done, and then she proclaims what God is going to do through this baby that is in her room with her song. She paints a picture of the future that God has promised and what is available to those who humble themselves before God, who make themselves low before him. So that is why she was singing. Next thing is how. How was she singing? How was Mary singing? And the first lines are, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Such large language. Now, this, here's a, you've probably heard this illustration before. I think I've even shared it. Like, you can magnify things in two different ways. You can take, put something under a microscope, something that's tiny to, to, to make it look bigger and, and, and more understandable. Or that's a microscope. Or there's the other version of a telescope where you take something that's big and bring it more closer to you, bring it more um, available to you to understand, bring it, make it bigger um, to you, more understandable to you. And I, I see that here that, that she's, my soul magnifies the Lord. She's not making a small God big to the world, but she's making a bigger God understandable and more experiential to the world. 
Mary reveals something very significant here about worshiping God. Her soul magnifies him because her, her spirit is rejoicing in him. A spirit that rejoices in God leads to a soul that magnifies him in, in this life. Magnifying is a big word. Like, that's a, that's a big action. I'm not, I'm not just saying, I, I respect God. I, I, you know, talk really good about him, but I magnify God. He is made big in my life. Now, the spirit, she says, is not just like an emotional response. If we read scripture for what it is, it's really the side of us that relates to God. It's the part of us that knows who God is. It's what he is, how we understand what he's like and what he wants from us. It's the part of us that understands what God has done for us and what he's given to us. And our spirit is, is really our, our whole self. It's not just an emotional response that she's talking about here. When Mary says that her spirit has rejoiced in God, she's saying that she has understood who God is. She knows what he has, what he said in his words. She believes in the truth he has revealed. This is the beginning point of all true worship of God, is an understanding about the facts of God. I have rejoiced in the things that I know about God, and my soul magnifies him, makes him big in my life. I've been in this, in this kind of phase of life before, and I, I know that this is a general experience. That there, sometimes we think that we have not worshiped God unless we've gotten goosebumps chills or broken down in tears or end up shouting with excitement. Mary reveals here that the true worship of God begins with our spirit, with understanding who God is and how he relates to us. It begins with an understanding of who God is and what he has done and all that he's given to us. So we don't, if we don't understand the truths of scripture and see that magnified in our life, rejoice in those and magnify those in our lives, we can't truly worship God if we don't rejoice in the truth of his word and magnify him. In John 4, uh, Jesus says that true worshipers worship God in spirit and truth. True worship of God flows through the spirit based upon the foundation of his words, of his truth. Where the scriptures are not understood, the spirit is not involved. And there can be no true worship. Sometimes the emotions and feelings of the soul get involved, which is beautiful and great. And this is what happens to, to Mary here. Obviously, she's emotional. She is sharing her emotions. She is magnifying God in a big way, like I'm sharing that all the emotions that I have it says that she magnifies and praises and delights in the Lord. So she's very emotional, emotional and excited about God. But this only happened because she understood and rejoiced in God her Savior. Like I said, a lot of people say they can't worship unless they feel it. And they also think they're not truly worshiping unless they feel something. Like it, it, it wasn't real enough. It, I didn't feel it. But true worship of God does not focus on feelings, but on what God has done for you, who, who God is and what God has given to us. And basically just God. God is the center of our worship. So when you come to church or when you sit down in the morning or whenever it is you do your Bible study, listen to Christian music, listen to worship music, what, why, why are we doing this? Is this like to get that tingle, to get that feeling from God? Is it to you know, feel the angels around us? Or is it to magnify God in our lives? Is it to know his truth and to rejoice in his truth and to know his words so that we can make big of him? We can't make big of something that we don't see, that we don't understand, that we don't hear. Like the emotional experience is powerful, but they don't necessarily show true worship all the time. Do you want to worship God and rejoice like Mary rejoices? Get in the word of God. Understand what he has done with you. Understand his truth. Now we know that this is how Mary worshiped and Mary had a mind that was thoroughly soaked in scripture. And we see that in her life. We see that even in this, um, this song. This song here is actually kind of, there's like a parallels of a song in 1 Samuel that was sung by Hannah when she um, was rejoicing that God was going to um, 
uh, God did the mir- had made the miracle happen of, of her bearing the child, Samuel. Um, so we know that she is soaked in Scripture and that, she, that this magnifying of God comes from her understanding of who God is based on the true word that she has read. The truths and the promises she learned about God from Scripture and from what God is doing in her caused her to rejoice in her whole being. She worshiped God in spirit and in truth. She rejoiced in God and the God of her salvation. She magnified him and exalted his name. She made much of him and little of herself, which is really the premise of this whole song. It's making big of God and little of ourselves, high of God and low of ourselves. In the rest of her song, we see some of the truths of Scripture she had learned and was excited about. She sings, like I said, a little about herself and a lot about God. That is the key to keeping us on the center, is making big of God and little of ourselves. So what was she singing? This is the, the last section, but it's the longest section um, of our text today. The first part says, uh, because, he, oh, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. So she sings a little bit about herself, but even that is about what God has done. Mary says that she will be blessed and that God is holy. Certain organizations get this mixed up. They think that Mary is holy and God is blessed or however they put that. Um, But here we don't see that. We see that Mary admits that she is in a low state, that God has done great things for her. She has looked with favor on the humble condition of her servant. We see that she is admitting herself that she was a sinner just like the rest of us. She's a sinner just like every other person born. The idea that Mary was sinless and so that that's how Jesus was born without sin is not biblical. And just this alone shows us that there's a lot more in the New Testament that shows us that, but that this shows us that. Jesus was born without sin because God alone is holy, because God alone is perfect, because God alone is his Father. Mary reveals her knowledge of this in in these verses, and first, she speaks of her lowly state. This, of course, refers to her humility, like willingness to serve God, and her status, and also refers to her sinfulness, her brokenness that we all experience, her sinful condition. So secondly, she recognizes that she's a servant. She refers to herself as a servant of God. She does not deserve anything from him, but wishes only to, to like, please him, to serve him and please him. And yet, though she is a sinner and a servant, God has seen fit to bless her, to use her. She recognizes that all generations will call her blessed. And this isn't a statement of pride. This is just a remembrance of, if we would have read earlier in Luke, the angel had told her, he proclaimed, uh, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. She's repeating what she's been told because she gets to carry God. Like how blessed is we? None of us get to hold them in our belly, especially as dudes. Um, That would not be right. And this is true. She has been blessed. Some have overreacted by idolizing her, which is, I would assume she would be upset about that, but we don't have to idolize her to call her blessed. We, We are blessed, can be blessed like Mary. Later in Jesus' life, he's teaching and a woman shouts from the crowd, Blessed is the woman who bore you. And Jesus' response was more than that. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's Luke 11. Jesus was not trying to downplay the significance of Mary's blessing here, but he was putting her blessedness in perspective. We have already seen that Mary was blessed because of the knowledge and obedience in the word of God. And Jesus reveals that if you and I want to be blessed like Mary, if we want to be blessed, all we have to do is do the same thing she did. Hear the word of God and obey it. 
to make less of what we think we ought to do with our lives, to make less of ourselves and make more of him. Hear his words and take those as the words I must follow. These are the words of life. And that's what it comes back to, the word of God being heard and obeyed. This is where true worship of God springs from. This is where true blessings of God come from. If you want to worship God, you've got to get in the word. You've got to know his words. You've got to know what he says to be obedient to what he says. She understands what God has said, and she understands who God is. She understands what he's done. She understands what God has done for her. And the message here isn't just like, don't hear me saying, do the right things and you'll be rewarded. There is some language like that in the New Testament, and we're not going to jump into that. But what I want you to see here is the beautifulness of this message, is that the most full you can be, the most purpose you can have in your life, the best you can have is by hearing the words of God and obeying them. It's not just do right and be rewarded. It's this is the best there is available. Like this philosophy of life, this way of living is going to bring more joy into your life, more peace into your life, more hope into your life, and give you more purpose in your life. It's not just like do good, get rewarded. It's this is the best way to live. So the best you can be is by being a person who hears the word of God and does the word of God, lives it in your life. So she sings a little bit about herself, but really it's actually about God. Next, she says a lot more about God. His mercy is from generation to generation. It goes on and on and on 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 those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now Mary sings that God responds in two ways to two different kinds of people in the world. There are those who fear God and obey him and who humble themselves before him. And there are those who are proud and arrogant and see themselves as above God. They see themselves, their ways better than his ways. The ones who fear God and obey him receive his mercy and his provision and his might and his power. They're exalted. And those who are arrogant before him are scattered and cast down. Fearing God, the fear of God is a reverential obedience of him. He knows, he shows his mercy to those who fear him. The greatest act of mercy God has ever shown is in what we're celebrating and sending Jesus to the world to save us. Even though we deserve punishment, even though we deserved death. Mary implies that this good news is not just for her generation, but is passed down. It says from generation to generation, this good news is for all people. It will go on. The blessings of God through Jesus who trust only themselves. Or the blessings of God through Jesus Christ are for everybody, not for those who trust in themselves. If they will just believe in Jesus. We see the opposite happens to those who only trust in themselves, or those who bring themselves high and don't consider God's words as higher and better in, in, than theirs. The proud trust in themselves and in their own plans. God scatters these plans and does not let them come to fruition. I, a commentator illustrated this by, like, Think of two powerful people playing chess and planning out their, their moves and whatnot and how they're going to establish their kingdoms. And God comes by with his mighty arm and smashes it on the table. The thoughts of the proud, the plans of the proud will be scattered by the almighty God. And we see this in the, hist- in the in Old Testament, but also just in history. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Alexander the Great, Emperor Nero, Think Genghis Khan, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, kings and princes and presidents that put themselves high on a pedestal and over God and don't consider God's ways as better than their ways, all inevitably, when it's all said and done, get fall for this from their throne, get brought down. Because God is king, God is mighty. And this is what Mary sings while the proud are brought down and left empty handed, the humble and lowly are lifted and exalted. It's not because they're great. 
Because by thinking that our plans and our ways are, are great and bigger and better is what finds us our, our destruction. But because their God is good, because our God is good, this is the benefit God has poured out upon the world through the coming of Jesus. This was like powerful for people in Mary's day. The common people of that day were like helpless when it came to civil rights and justice. They were often hungry and often looked down on, often discouraged, often downtrodden. And there was no way to really fight the system. Mary saw the Lord turning everything upside down, the weak dethroned, or the, the mighty dethroned, the, the proud scattered, the, the nobody's exalted, the hungry filled. And now let me hear, hear me say this. Whether, whether This means like whether you're a lowly farmer or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, before God, we're all the same. This is the message that's giving us. Is that we are all in need. We are all low. So don't hear me saying if you're a successful businessman that God is going to take you down. But if you're a successful businessman and stand on your ways and, and think that God is lower than you, then you will be brought down. You come before the Lord empty and he fills you with life. In the family of God, there are no distinctions. We must all come before the Lord in our lowly state and let God be God. Let God be the king of our lives and get out of his way. So I'm not just trying to say, like, know your place. You know, my, a joke and I, my college mates and I would, um, like, say to each other when we were messing around, we'd, we'd wrestle a lot. I think I've said that on stage before. For some reason, we wrestled a lot in college. And if you want, you'd say, know your place. That's not what I'm saying. Like, th- that's there. Know your place, like you are, we are lower than God. But these truths are also meant to be a comfort for us. When you're wrong, this tells us that God is going to set all things straight. When you're down, this says God is going to lift you up. When you are slighted, God is going to bless you. When you are insulted, God is going to exalt you. And of course, the condition for him doing all these things is for you, for you is that you must, we must be humble and lowly. We must approach him humble and lowly. Mary begins her song by magnifying God, and if, if you find yourself having trouble magnifying God, maybe it's because you're magnifying something else in your life. Maybe it's because you're magnifying yourself, you're magnifying riches, you're magnifying the perfect career, the perfect family image. Maybe it's one of those things. Consider that. And last, Mary sings of the faithfulness of God in 54 through 55. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Now, if we read the Old Testament, we see the people of Israel have almost always been in a state of rebellion against God. And God reminds them here through Mary that he will never forsake them, but will always remember them and fulfill his promises to them. That's what this is all about. God is on Israel's side. Mary, once again, shows her knowledge of Scripture, her soakingness in Scripture, and by quoting one of the promises of God to Abraham. If God doesn't fulfill his promises to Israel, that means that he wouldn't fulfill his promises to us either because the message of God to Abraham was that he was going to make his name known through him to, save, to bring his salvation to the world through him and through his people, through the people of Israel. Jesus is the answer to that plan. And Mary here is looking back on his past promises to well up the goodness and the faithfulness of who God is and what is happening in her life right now. She looks back on God's faithfulness to go f- to move forward in her life and keep him the center of her life. So Mary's song is a beautiful reminder of all that God has done for us and has promised to do for those who follow after him. It's a new song, or it is a song that bursts from the lips of Mary based on what she knew Scripture to say and what God is doing in her life and for the world, for his world. Now, for me, this song seems to kind of end abruptly. It's kind of short. All of a sudden, it just stops. 
And maybe Mary drifted off into singing more, and, and maybe Luke didn't record all of her song or something, but I think her song ended just like, like it's just, just abruptly. And I begin to f- reflect about this and just think about this and just thinking like, why, why was this song so short, whatever? And it, but truthfully, it's, the song's not over. This was just the first verse of a million more verses in her lives to come of following and faithfulness to God. She sang many more verses and stanzas throughout her life. And the men of woman and God throughout time who allow the words of Scripture to penetrate their minds and hearts have added stanzas to this song. You and I are a part of a symphony that God is writing. How are you playing your piece? How are you engaging in your uh, part of God's song? It's kind of like the book of Acts, Acts 28 ends kind of abruptly in my eyes too. Seems there should be an Acts 29. And there is. <laughs> We're part of an organization called Acts 29, uh, <laughs> which is really clever, but it's just as true as it is clever. There's no end Acts because the church, the church as it is right now, is the, continuing, the continuation of God's church, of God's people being a part of the song that he is writing for his world, for his kingdom. You and I are part of a a grand opera of what God is writing. And so every, every Sunday we take communion to remember like how we are a part of this song, how God made us a part of this song and woven us into it. He was born, and that's the, the fun, holly jolly thing we get to celebrate about the season, but Jesus was born to die. He was born in order for us to be a part of this. He had to die for us to be a part of this song that he, was, he is writing to build his kingdom. And every Sunday we remember this, that he died for us. So as you take communion afterwards, if you didn't get a communion cup, there at a table near the entrance. As you take communion, remember and celebrate that you get to be a part of this song that God is writing because he died for you. That by his body and by his blood, you are his and you are a part of God's family. So like in the beginning, I tend to get off track. I tend to forget like, who is king? Not, not admittedly, like, not just, I, I wouldn't say I forget God is king, but the way I'm living shows that God isn't king sometimes, that he is not on the throne of my life, that riches are, are on the throne of my life. And we're celebrating babies right now, and we're getting ready to welcome a baby, and sometimes that baby becomes the throne of our life. Maybe for you, your kids become the throne of your life. Maybe your job becomes the throne of your life. Maybe just a good family image or whatever, whatever it is, we misplace what ought to be on the throne of our lives. My encouragement to you this morning is to turn to the scriptures, to turn to the word of God, and he will give you words to praise him with, to bring you back and put, you, put him back on the throne of your life. Consider yourself as low. Come to him humbly and admit your lowly state to him. Literally do that if you have misplaced what is on the throne of your life. See your state of need and confess to God when you or anything else has taken his place. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for um, bringing salvation to this world, God. Thank you for carrying out your plan to redeem us back to yourself, that we can be a part of your family, God, for exalting us, for lifting us up, for filling us up, God, for, um, for all that you have done for us, God. We are here to worship you. We are here to bring you all the glory and honor. And I just pray that that happens as we stew in the word and stew in Mary's song this morning, God, that you propel us to live a life that shows our king on the throne, our our God who is mighty, our God that feeds us, our God that provides for us. God, I I pray that this propels us into a life that shows that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.